electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, The Bounce. Can you trust it? Should you buy it? How far can it go? We'll debate all of that with the Investment Committee this hour. Joining me today, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, and John Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Take a look at the markets. Carl said it. Stocks higher across the board. All sectors are green. Tech is big today. The Nasdaq getting another big jump. It's the best two-day gain for the S&P since February. Almost a 3% gain for the Nasdaq. Take a look at that 145, 10-year note yield. Always bring that up. Uh, Big question, Doc. Is the bounce legit? Can you trust it? How far can it go? And I'll tell you what, judging by what I learned just before I came on the air, you must think it not, it's not going to last and it's not legit because you sold Netflix, oh. you sold Adobe, you sold Google, you sold Square, you sold SoFi, and you just bought those on December 3rd. That's right, Scott. Well, you know, you buy them when there's blood in the streets, uh, when they're <clears throat> greedy, you want to be fearful. When they're fearful, you want to be greedy. And so I bought all those last week. You were getting a much-deserved day off uh, on Friday when I was on with Frank and the crew. Uh, But uh, we were waiting to deploy some capital, Scott. And uh, when that market was just getting throttled, um, we were able to buy Square down at 175 or less. Um, We were able to buy SoFi at 1470, I think, or something like that. And Google, Adobe, um, Netflix, all of these stocks that you described, when the vol gets up like that, Scott, as you know, I like to, Pete likes to um, buy stocks and sell that pumped up volatility. Now, we were actually quite lucky because the volatility came down so fast, to your point, we were 35 just two days ago, or, you know, just uh, on last Friday, we yeah. hit 3520 yeah, or something like right that now. in the VIX, Scott. About the VIX. As you said, right we now. broke through 22. You can imagine that then you make money from those calls you sold against the stocks. And now we flip that position around. So I'm still in all of these positions, but I am no longer in those stocks uh, because sold out of all the stocks and put on call spreads. Because that's, you know, what you do when you're trying to move the odds into your favor. So by selling those stocks, Scott, we were able to raise a bunch of capital and then put on call spreads in Google, in SoFi, in Square, in uh, Tesla, in Microsoft, in a whole bunch of stocks, including the ones that we bought just Friday. And rarely do you get a turnaround this fast. In fact, when vol pops, it usually pops to the upside very quickly, like we saw Friday, and then comes down grudgingly. This is one of the fastest drops we've seen in a long time, Scott, to come from 35-plus down and breaking 22 earlier this morning. So uh, is it fair to say that you're more managing your risk rather than making a bigger statement about whether you trust the bounce in you? stocks or not? Or maybe, John, maybe John doesn't hear me. We'll try and get that figured out. Uh, Stephanie Link. 
Do you trust the bounce? Mm -hmm. Is it legit? Can it keep going? I think it can. Um, the latest variant seems not as threatening. That's the good news. And on the economy, it's all systems go. Unemployment is at 4.2 percent. The jolts and quit rates are at all-time highs. Home prices are up 19 percent on average. The ISM services are at record highs. New orders are at all-time highs, and that's a leading indicator for earnings and CapEx, as we know. The Atlanta Fed is saying the fourth quarter GDP is now going to be 9.7 percent. I don't think it's going to be that high, but 6, 7, 8 percent is certainly better than 2 percent we saw in the third quarter. Um, and that translates into earnings of about 18 percent. So I think that's good. Numbers are going higher. Revisions are going up. Um, the, the, the issue is inflation is real. That um, that unit labor cost number of 9.6 percent is a huge number. And the productivity numbers were really crummy, too. So we've got to watch inflation. That's why the Fed is going to up their taper amount. And that's why they're probably going to tighten sooner rather than later. But all those stats I just cited we can taper. We can actually raise rates, I think. Um, so until the end of the year, seasonally, yes, I like the market. I like the cyclicals. I like the reopens. I like some technology. Uh, into the new year, we're going to have to reassess and see what the Fed does in terms of sector allocations. Uh, but I, uh, I'm, I'm long uh, right now, and I'm going to stay long until uh, the end uh, of the year. Uh, all right. Josh Brown, uh, Jonathan Krinsky, your guy. We think risk reward favors upside heading into the end of the year. That's what he says today. Goldman, Jan Hatzius, we remain fairly positive on global equities. Also from Goldman Sachs, they say what we've seen in the last week or so doesn't nearly justify a 30-plus VIX. Are you positive on stocks now heading into the end of the year? You take everything into context of the last 10 days? I, ha I, I have been the whole time. So I was on the network screaming last week, like, is your base case really that the Fed is going to accelerate the taper to the point that he crashed, uh, that they crashed the stock market? Like, have you been paying attention at all to anything that's been going on in the last 12 years? There's, there's absolutely no reason. If you were selling stock last week for that reason, you really are, are well served by having someone else make the decisions for you. So now today, as everybody comes to grips with that reality that we were talking about on the show last week, you find a classic face ripper. Like, this is a face ripper from 2011, 2012. That's exactly what you're seeing here. Every sector up, almost everything green, for no reason, quite frankly, other than uh, we realize that some of the things that were being discussed in the heat of the moment last week were overdone. So now you got Apple up a hilarious 3.3% today. That's high. now back to a $2.8 trillion market cap. Congratulations, new all-time high. Bang. Small caps up 2.8. Google and Microsoft up 2.5. The ARK stocks are bouncing, and there has been no bounce there in a long time, plus 5.5. Okay. Um, okay. Cyclicals are leading. Energy, energy, XLB. Like, these are, these are the leading sectors. All-time high for the home builders as well. Shopify up big, Square up big, Snow, the trade desk. Uh, NVIDIA, the IPO index, all the favorites. I and I you. have to tell you. Yeah. Who, I have, wait, hold on. Hurry up. I have Hurry to up. tell you. I want you to get in. I want to get in here. Who bought the ahead. dip? Everybody bought the dip. If you look at Bank of America data from Savita's team last week, every single group that they track, hedge funds, institutions, wealth management, pensions, everybody bought the dip. But nobody bought the dip harder than corporate buybacks. Massive buying in, in, in the buyback space, 
That's something that we really haven't seen. Uh, we just had this burst of enthusiasm for corporates buying back their own stocks last week. And we're still uh, 7% below 2019 levels, which suggests there's still a lot of room for more of that into year end. Okay, I know. I get it. Once the Josh Brown freight train gets rolling, you try and step in the front of that, you're going to get run over. So I'm a, vi- I'm a victim of that, too. It should I just be the whole I, show. I had to let to you finish. Honest, I, had okay. to let, I had to let you finish. You teed me up uh, anyway, so I'm glad I did let you finish because... Uh, Jim Labenthal, now I have a more difficult question for you. Now, to to Josh's point, the ARK Innovation ETF is up more than 12 percent from yesterday's intraday low. To his point as well, what Bank of America is saying about everybody buying the dip, inflows of near $7 billion this week or last week, largest since 2017 in terms of people buying the big dip, dip. Yet I asked everybody yesterday, why not buy the dip in the ARC funds and all those kinds of stocks yesterday, and I had no takers on the show. Not a single person said now was the time, to which I suggested, well, I don't know, maybe that's a contrarian indicator in and of itself, that all you guys didn't think now was, now was the time to buy. I look up today. The cloud computing ETF is a perfect example of that. It was down 3% yesterday. It's up 6% today. A lot of the stocks that were getting clubbed, are now positive week to date. So my question to you is, did you, collective you, miss your chance on a golden opportunity to buy some of these stocks? The answer is, I doubt it. Um, And it's not because they're bad companies, but it's because they've got some headwinds right now. Number one is, this is a year in which there are massive gains across almost all of the stock market, except for the Kathy Wood stock. Not because Kathy Wood is a bad manager. It's just because those are the stocks that have losses in them year to date. And that's where people are looking to sell stocks in order to get tax losses to shield gains. That's one headwind. The second headwind is if you believe, as I do, that interest rates are slowly going to move higher, uh, that is a headwind for these stocks that are mainly aspirational in when their earnings are going to hit, meaning their earnings are years out from now. And when you discount those future year earnings at ever increasing interest rates, the value of the stocks go down. Now, I want to make a distinction here. Fine companies, but this is not the time to buy them. Uh, so do, I you should not get fooled by the uh, by the bounce today in these stocks. That's not. Where I want to have. I want to have this debate. I want to have this debate, and I want to do it right now. Josh Brown, do you agree with Jim Labenthal? Now is not the time to buy these stocks. He says. I think some of them you should be buying, and the important thing, and I think Jim, I think Jim would agree with this. The important thing is that we don't just label a group of stocks from all different sectors and, and in all different uh, fundamental situations, quote unquote. Arc stocks or high, like they, there are huge differences in these names. If you look at what's not bouncing today, um, it's pretty telling. DocuSign, Peloton, Baba, Zoom, those stocks all have something, uh, take out Baba, DocuSign, Peloton, Zoom have something very, very um, extreme in common. Throw in Teladoc there. I have a feeling those stocks should actually, those companies should actually be talking about merging. Some investment banker should stick uh, DocuSign and Zoom together. Leave that out of the conversation. It's, it's, it's way too difficult in those downtrends, um, and it's way too difficult for those comps. I bought some uh, PayPal recently. I added to Uber recently. I think those are viable stocks right now. I don't know if they're in ARC or not, or if they're considered quote-unquote ARC stocks. I know that those are companies that are going to grow their earnings next year. And they are 40 to 50 percent off off their record highs. So I want to be a buyer there. 
I don't know if the timing might be better a week from now, two weeks from now. I know I like him here. That's not the same thing as saying buy every single stock that was on on Robinhood's top ten or buy all the Reddit stock. It's two different conversations. No, but I think. you can buy. You could say, okay, um, maybe I should have bought the Ark Innovation Fund, though, Josh. I mean, I said it's you know it, it's up more than twelve percent from yesterday's intraday low, right? So if you want to go basket playing, play some basketball. Why not the Ark Innovation ETF? You have like to agree. Like you that. have to there. agree with the. You have to agree because you have to agree. You have to agree with the premise behind the basket. I'll, I'll tell you where I think you could buy that nobody is interested in buying, but might be setting up for one of the fatter pitches for uh, 2022. Healthcare and in particular biotech. Biotech is is negative on the year. Had a great 2019 and 2020. So this year basically took the year off. Whether we're talking about genomics or, or drug discovery or whatever, uh, biotech has been horrible. That's the area that people should be looking because they're going to grow next year. They've got some defensive characteristics on the healthcare side. Um, I think there are a lot of great secular growth stories on the biotech and genomic side. And again, it's an area that's not overowned, it's not overloved, uh, but that could swing around really quickly. Energy stocks were uninvestable in 2020, and in 2021, they're up 50% on the year so far. So I would be looking there. Um, so ARK has a genomics fund, ARKG. Uh, there are other ways to play it. There's the iShares genomics fund, which is IDNA. There's a Global X offering in the space. That, to me, would be an interesting trade to put on. Very uncrowded, unloved. I hear the, uh, the human sound effect machine keeps weighing in, Doc. Uh, you know, with the bang, bang, you should just create the buzzer for that. You, I, want a little cu- I want a little cut of that for the suggestion, obviously. But do you agree with everything that yep, Josh is su- suggesting then? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, like Josh talked about PayPal, and you and I talked about PayPal when it dropped down into the 180s. And I said, now's the time to buy it, not at 205 and 210 right after earnings. Um, I'm generally, Scott, not the guy, though, that buys ETFs. And again, just like Josh said, it's nothing against Kathy or any of the great managers out there that have created these ETFs. I trade them. I don't buy them and hold them. And the reason is because I think if I pick the best stocks in those ETFs, I can then own that alpha, if you will, and unload uh, upside stuff against it, whether those are calls in the ETF if they are listed with options or in uh, some, some, something like the uh, S&P 500 or the IWM or the QQQ, whatever it might be, Scott, that tracks those. So I'm not disagreeing with Josh. I am agreeing that, you know, all those bangs were because of the stocks that he mentioned individually, but not because of the ETFs. I'm not an ETF buyer and holder. All right, Steph, how about this conversation we're having now? Can, can you buy, if you love these kinds of stocks, High growth, high valuation, the so-called Kathy Wood names. Did you miss your chance to go bargain hunting? And you may not have that opportunity, the likes of which you, you have had in the last seven days. Well, I think we should keep it into perspective. Her timeline, her time frame for investing is five years. A lot can happen in five years. But that's why when you look at her fund and the names she owns, you can look at total addressable markets and really buy into some of the names, not all of the names. But if you want to have a diversified portfolio, sure, you can own this. You can nibble on it, have a small position 
have a small allocation relative to your other positions that you own. But I, quite frankly, can find a whole host of other technology companies, growing companies that are trading at 17, 18, 19 times earnings, earnings. So for me, I'm, I'm just looking elsewhere, mainly in the semiconductor space, mainly in enterprise IT recovery space. Um, and, and so that's where I'm playing kind of thing. But, um, but I, if you have a long-term time horizon, that's what she has. So you have to believe in that. And again, the total addressable market and the growth potential. Let me just get some moves out, out of the way quickly with you, Steph, since I, since I got you and you're kind of playing into that. You bought more HP Enterprises. You bought more Cisco. You bought more Broadcom and you trimmed Fortnite. But take me through the, more, the buying more of HPE, Cisco and Broadcom. Yeah. Yeah, I sold a little bit of Ford because I'm up 110%. It trades at 16 times sales, which is a little uncomfortable for me. Broadcom, I, lo- I learned a lot from Marvell's quarter. 40% of Marvell's business is data center. Well, Broadcom has a big chunk of their revenues in data center. And Marvell's growth in data center was up 109% year over year. So I think the quarter is going to be quite good. It trades at 21 times. HPE, it's a cloud transition story. We talked about it. But in their quarter, orders were up 28% year over year and up 9% sequentially. It trades at 7 times earnings with a 3% yield. And Cisco is Marvell's biggest enterprise IT customer. And the book to bill at Marvell in enterprise was one, t- was one time. So I think Cisco is going to continue to deliver uh, and outperform. So again, um, very attractive 17 times forward. All right, let's bring in our headliner of the day, Marco Kalanovic. He is the chief global market strategist at J.P. Morgan. He is one of Institutional Investors Hall of Fame strategists. He is also number one in the equity link strategies and thematic research categories. Marco, welcome. It's good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank I, you. I cite your research all the time, so it's actually good to have the, the live person on. Um, how about you with the same question I asked the group at the top of the show? Should we trust this bounce? Uh, I would say yes. You know, the, uh, when the Omicron news hit uh, the tape on Thanksgiving night, you know, there, there was a clearly an overreaction. Market didn't have all the information. It basically sold off immediately nighttime. You know, then next Monday we had a sort of Moderna uh, putting uh, some also concerning news, which were also you know showing, turning out now not to be quite quite as accurate. And the market took another hit. So basically, market sold off very rapidly on 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 basically, you know, news that were not very reliable. And now it's basically recovering those back, you know. And as we see more data from Omicron from South Africa, you know, uh, market is kind of uh, reassessing that. And you also have a little bit of a short squeeze today because in what I believe is that last week some funds opportunistically went out to short. They were expecting maybe we repeat uh, uh, 2018, December. Uh, so sort of maybe uh, you can make some money on the downside. But that, that was the wrong assessment. So now to Today, we have a short squeeze, and effectively, market has recovered the Omicron panic. I understand, but you, but you did not mention the other major catalyst for the sell-off. I don't know if that was on purpose mm-hmm. or not. It um, was a little bit on purpose, but it, yes. But you know <laughs> go, what I'm talking ahead. about, right? I yeah, mean, I it's know, like I the elephant in the room. It's we the, had the Fed. Powell. It's Jim yes. Powell. Yes. He, Look, we had the Powell's, we had the Powell's comments. You know, uh, it, it, it hit the market on that day. It was more of a rotation. And I know you guys discussed already sort of, is it the growth? Is it the value? You know, so, so the growth stock took a little bit beating. Actually, value was a bit supported uh, with those news. You know, like, so I think that the bulk of the move was Omicron. You know, Fed certainly uh, uh, caused some concern, which were a bit more on 
the rotation side. Look, we will see the Fed next week. Um, you know, it, it may be it may be positive, negative, or neutral. But I do think that the bulk of the sell-off that happened on, on Thanksgiving night in the futures and then on Monday night also in the futures was really Omicron and nothing to do with the Powell. Well, okay. Now this is interesting. Now. The way this works is we have you on, you, you do kind of a pre-interview with our producers, I get the notes, and then I ask you questions uh, around some of the notes. Now, mm-hmm. I have in my notes, I, I, I sort of tell about the, the process here so we understand where I'm going. My notes say to speed up the taper and the hike would not be positive for the market. So for Steve sure. Eastman's I already, I mean, we've reported yeah. that we're going to double the pace of the taper. Well, you know, let's 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 wait let's wait until next week to see exactly what what the what the pace is. You know, if there is a hike, early hike next year, that would certainly not be positive for high multiple stock technology stocks. You know, for the value in cyclicals, it's not clear. That depends on the sort of how we recover, how we progress recovering from coronavirus, and what is the growth and what is the employment. You know, like so so uh, hiking, premature hiking would be negative for. You know, you guys mentioned. Uh, you know innovation stocks and ETFs, that would be bad for those stocks. You know, it's not clear that it would be bad for financials. It's not clear it would be uh, bad for energy uh, and also international stocks. It's not clear it would be bad. So, so, so it's a certainly a risk that we will carefully monitor, uh, you know, obviously starting next week with the Fed, but particularly next year where we get some more clarity when that hike will come, you know. But I would say right now we are in a seasonally positive um, uh, period for the market. Uh, we believe that coronavirus is sort of declining globally. So we had this Omicron scare, but keep in mind, we still have a Delta, and there are some signs that Delta is declining actually in Europe, you know, and and we need to see the U.S., but next year, especially uh, first half of next year, could be the year of strong recovery, you know, and if you do have a recovery, um, you know, Fed hike could be absorbed, especially by cyclicals, you know, again, not so much maybe by very high hyper-growth, speculative growth stocks, but bulk of the market is is, is not um, um, uh, trading at that type of crazy multiples. So I just want to button one thing up before I move to 2020. And I do want to ask you questions about your outlook mm-hmm. more specifically into next year. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you are not convinced that the Fed is going to hold to the schedule that the market has seemingly taken us after what Powell said last week. I'm, I'm not convinced, uh, in short, you know, and the opinions differ there, and even within within our firm, people will have different opinions. I'm not convinced they will uh, go for, like, a, a very accelerated tapering and then early, uh, early hiking. That said, we need to see what's the pace of economic recovery next year. You know, if the recovery is very strong, you know, it might be perfectly fine to to, to do the early hike, you know, and, and move the whole schedule ahead, um, you know. And and um, if it's if it's sort of uh, if it's a little bit of a stop and go like we had this year, I do not think they will they will hike uh, before the election next year. As positive as you sound, and if you put that wild card into the the equation, and you come up with only a ten percent gain for twenty twenty for the S and P fifty fifty. Why so, dare I say, conservative, only at 10 percent, given everything you just told me? 
precisely because precisely because of what I told you, know, precisely because of the rates and the Fed, and the fact that the U.S. market is very heavy on the growth stocks, on technology stocks, on a relatively high multiple stocks. You know, if you look at the emerging markets, if you look at the Europe, you know, if you look at the cyclicals, which are a very small part of the S&P nowadays, uh, these stocks have a, a, a relatively conservative and low multiple. You know, so basically, as the Fed um, uh, tightens the monetary policy and eventually hikes interest rates. The high multiple stocks are under pressure. Low multiple stocks uh, can do just fine if there is enough of a growth. You know, so basically, when you look at the S and P, bulk of S and P overlapped with Nasdaq. You know, if you look at international stocks. They are a bit more cyclical, you know, a lot more actually cyclical, you know. So if you look at emerging markets, if you look at the Europe, um, and and uh, um, um, you basically see that there is a less of a rate sensitivity in those stocks, you know. Like so, that's why 10% for the U.S. But for instance, we think 20% for emerging markets and, and 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 Europe, you know. Also within U.S., you know, if you look at the energy stocks, if you look at the materials, financials, we think those can do uh, better, a lot better than than index. So we are overweighting cyclicals, and we are neutral on, neutral on tech. We think tech is going to be basically just in line with the market. So that's why S&P forecast is lower than, call it international, and then also value in cyclical stocks. I'm glad you explained that. Josh Brown, my guy, has a question for you, Marco. Josh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Hey, Marco. Nice to see you. I read your report, and it sounds like uh, you think global earnings growth will exceed 50% this year. That seems like a screaming headline to me. You also have Europe outperforming the U.S., which hasn't happened in so long. I'm almost starting to think it's not possible, mm-hmm. although Europe was decent this year, up 20 percent. Um, how confident are you that European equities can outperform the S&P? And if, in fact, we have 50 percent earnings growth globally, um, why aren't more people excited that that's even a possibility? That seems like a huge jump in, in profitability worldwide. So, so first, let me on Europe. You, you, you're very right. You know, Europe simply did not uh, perform. Uh, you know, as, as long as far as we can remember. And the reason is basically we had declining yields. We had a, a relatively weak global growth. Um, you know, started with the post-global financial crisis recovery, and then we had a trade war, and then we had the coronavirus. Uh, so yields were just going lower and lower. So we believe that now is the turning point for the yields, um, and that yields will move higher. So that should help value that should help financials uh, and also the growth if we can finally recover from this pandemic the higher growth would also benefit um, uh, international markets as opposed to let's say nasdaq you know and as, as i mentioned smp is a heavy on nasdaq you know so big sort of uh, um, uh, assumption uh, in our forecast is that we will finally recover from pandemic you know if you remember this year it looked like we will uh, uh, finish with the pandemic by the summertime. And then we had the Delta, which kind of a little bit threw off and slowed down mobility globally and recovery globally. So we now think past Delta, uh, that moment has uh, finally arrived. And in that case, global growth would be above trend and interest rates will be going higher. And when you map out different international indices uh, versus U.S. indices, uh, you just see that they do benefit more from above-trend growth and the higher higher interest rates. And as I said, repeating it again, because S&P is very Nasdaq-heavy and Nasdaq stocks uh, tend to benefit from low yields. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. I know my, my gang has more questions for you, but we'll continue next time. I, I appreciate the time very much, Marco. Thanks so much. 
Thank you. Thank you, everyone. All right. That's Marco Kalanovic of J.P. Morgan. All right. Let's take a quick break. All over the market rally, as you know, Intel is rallying today on news. It plans to take its self-driving car unit public. We'll debate that. You'll hear from Jenny Harrington. She's going to call. Is this the moment she's finally been waiting for? You'll find out next. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Intel shares moving higher today after the company announced its plan to take its mobilized self-driving car unit public Next year, Jenny Harrington, as you know, owns the stock, joins us now. I knew you couldn't wait to talk about this one. (laughs) Well, I think it's just a step. So when you said, is this the moment you've been waiting for? Nah, I think it's a step on the ladder to get us there. Um, It's a neat announcement, though. What I think it is, is it's a shot across the bow to say, hey, wake up. Here we are. We have a lot of value. When Mobileye IPOs, there will be nothing else like that out there. It's large, it's profitable, it's professionally managed, and it's going to be a pure play on autonomous driving. And the estimates are that it'll be a $50 billion company. Intel paid $15 billion for it five years ago. So this is them saying, like, there is value here. Um, There's other things, too. When we initially bought Intel, right, it was trading at 12 times earnings, and we thought the market was completely ignoring the mobile eye part. That's just one part of it. This shows us that, yeah, they were completely ignoring it. And they're also, we think, still ignoring the value of Intel's huge, enormous free cash flow generation that deserves a higher multiple than it's getting. Okay, so I was all excited, and then you said it's a, quote, neat announcement. Now, okay, I should have used investing, a better word. you know, as investing exciting theses go, <laughs> is that really one? It's neat? It's part of it. No, it's part of it. And frankly, when we bought Intel, Mobileye was a cog in the wheel of the investment thesis. It wasn't the bulk of it. The bulk of it was that they were generating $18 billion a year in free cash flow when trading at a very discounted multiple. Frankly, I could almost, I could almost make an argument that excludes Mobileye from owning this. From owning, sorry, I could make an argument that excludes Mobileye and I would still want to own Intel. I think that even without Mobileye, Intel can get to $6.50 a share of earnings in the next few years. If they do that and you give them just a 15 times multiple, which is still way below their peers, and they do deserve to trade below their peers, right? Well, where like, are they? That would be higher than where they let, are now. Let me ask you this because yeah. you, you, know, you throw out numbers, and I, I, admittedly, I don't have these numbers in my head. Just for context's sake, for our viewers, you think they can get to 650? Mm-hmm. Where are they today? 
they're at about $5. Okay. Some people can say 5 Some, yeah, after their last earnings announcement, they guided down, rather analysts revised down to about $4. So that's not a huge, that's not a huge um, move up in earnings, given all the new chips that are coming. Well, from four and to five bucks, from, comes from, online, from four to five bucks up to six fifty. I mean, that, that's a considerable jump. It is, but assuming they're at five now, let's say it goes from five to six fifty, and don't forget, they're going to spend ten billion dollars. Rather, they're going to generate ten billion dollars of free cash flow next year. They're spending twenty billion dollars to build this foundry. Once that foundry comes online, it should mint cash too. So you take the 650, give it a 15 times multiple, that's over a $90 share price. But there's a lot of wait and see. We all know that this, this to me, it's like AT&T and Intel have the most emotion in them of any stocks that I know of. And there's a lot, so that emotion needs to suss its way out. People need to get used to it and they need to believe in Pat Gelsinger and believe that he can execute and operate. Okay. That's going to take some time. And that's why I'm enthusiastic about this, but I'm not like rah, 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 this is what I've been waiting for. This well, is just a step in the ladder. The comment from Jim Cramer in the CNBC Investing Club, I want to read it to you. Intel can't do it with earnings, so they do it with a breakup? Now, how do you respond to something like that? It doesn't sound, I don't know. I, you know, do you necessarily disagree with that? Yeah, I do. And if you look at their earnings, they've actually beat the last several quarters. They beat by 54% last quarter, 20% the previous two quarters, 38% the last quarter. But then the stock traded down after last quarter, not because earnings were great, they were, but because they then guided for 22, where margins would be compressed a bit because they'd be investing in new chips, in new um in new products. And so there's like a year of compression, a couple years of compression, and then they explode. So I think that they will do it with earnings. Okay. But your time frame needs to be long, right? This is and I was early. You know I joke when you say you're early, you're wrong. I was I've been wrong, right? I should have gotten in now, not a year and change ago. But I think you always need to look forward. And you, you say it all the time, Scott. You say you need to go where the puck's going. Right? I think the puck is going in their direction now. But it's not going to be a shoot the lights out. This is going to be patient and mm -hmm. early. Okay. It reminds me of when I bought Qualcomm. Yeah. All right. All right, Jenny. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thanks. All right. That's Jenny Harrington. Talk about another potential IPO now. Volkswagen said to be preparing a Porsche IPO. That is according to a report out of Germany. Steve Weiss joins us now for more on that because, as you know, uh, Steve, you own Volkswagen and Porsche, don't you? I do. I own them both. And Porsche, of course, owns about 50 percent, a little more than that, uh, Volkswagen. Um, so, look, it's been a little bit of a disappointing performer this year. Can't argue. But if they do spin out Porsche and there is there keep being rumors uh, about a month ago, that they uh, they were hiring bankers, supposedly Freshfields and Goldman. But it makes such incredible sense. Let's just compare it to Ferrari for a second. So Ferrari sells about 12,000 units a year. It's got a market cap of $66 billion, and it's more profitable. Its operating margins are about 25%. However, you know, that's on revenue of $4.5 billion. Uh, Porsche alone has revenue of $20 billion just for the first nine months of this year. They will sell, you know, also a bunch of Bugattis, right? Bugattis' average selling price is four and a half million, and they'll sell 28 Lowe's. They'll sell over 10,000 Bentleys. So, and Lamborghinis, they'll sell about eight, 9,000 Lamborghinis. So when you take a look at where Ferrari is being valued at whatever, 30 times, 35 times EBITDA, and you can put an old, a similar multiple on that of Porsche, 
The entire market cap of Volkswagen is about $120 billion. The Porsche market cap estimates could go from $50 to $100 billion on that company alone. So it makes so much sense. It's hard to believe that it won't happen. If that happens, you'd have a total value. You could have a double, actually, of where the stock price is on Volkswagen, which is trading about seven times earnings, despite being one of the top EV sellers in the world and will be the top EV seller in the world in another couple of years. But you're not taking any so, profits yeah, at all. So I, I love this. You're not taking any profits today at all in Porsche with a near what is now, as we talk about it, a near 11 percent bump. No, no. I, I think Porsche goes a lot higher. I mean, okay. if the, once again, if they spin this out, I mean, you've got to double in the overall company. And the Porsche spin out alone, to me, that's much more value, valuable than Ferrari, which is selling roughly the same number of Bentleys, you know, overall okay. with just 12,000 units in Ferrari. Interesting move in that. Uh, glad you came on. Steve, thanks. We'll see you soon. That's Steve Weiss. Let's get the headlines now uh, with Christina Partsinevelis. Hey, KP. Hello, Scott, and here's what's happening uh, at this hour. Widespread outages for Amazon's AWS cloud services are affecting multiple companies and thousands of users. Disney says its Disney Plus streaming service has been disrupted. Robinhood is also noting issues. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying early data suggests the Omicron variant is not worse than earlier variants. However, he says Omicron is highly transmissible, but almost certainly not as severe as the Delta variant. He says it will take weeks, though, to properly judge Omicron's severity. And former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows signaling a sharp reversal. His attorney saying Meadows will not cooperate with the January 6th congressional investigation. The attorney says the panel has shown no respect for executive privilege protections claimed by Meadows. And Kellogg workers have rejected a tentative labor deal. The five-year deal covered 1,400 employees at four U.S. cereal plants. And that's the news this hour. Scott, back over to you. Right, thank you. All right, Kathy Wood's flagship ARK Innovation Fund. We talked about that down nearly 20% this year. Now she has a new ETF. We're going to tell you what it is and the stocks that are in it when we come back. Oil giant ExxonMobil announcing this week it aims to achieve net zero emissions from working assets in the Permian Basin by 2030 through electrifying operations, expanding methane detection, and eliminating routine flaring as investors and governments pressure energy companies to fight against climate change. Exxon recently committed $15 billion to lower emissions investments over the next six years. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Boy, big bounce for stocks today. See the Nasdaq's up better than 3%. That's the highs of the day as technology stocks get a bounce, including many of those so-called Kathy Wood stocks. Speaking of, she has a new ETF. Our Kate Rooney has that story for us. Hey, Kate. Hey, Scott. This is Kathy Wood's second new ETF in the past few years, the ARC Transparency ETF, ticker CTRU. It starts trading tomorrow, and this is another play on the ESG space or environmental, social, and governance. It comes amid a wave of demand for these types of investments. And you won't have any Kathy Wood stock picks in here, though. It's not an active ETF. It'll follow what's known as the Transparency Index. That's a list of 100 companies that are scored independently and measured on some metrics like legal proceedings and reputation. ARC argues that transparency leads to more consumer trust, they say, and offers long-term growth potential. It says there are 98% fewer financial crimes and 95% fewer environmental violations with more Transparent companies, the ETF will have zero exposure to the chemical or fossil fuel industries. Alcohol, tobacco, gambling are all banned. Confectionery, so no sugar there. That's also banned. And banks are excluded as well. Among the top 10 holdings, you've got Cloudflare, Bloom Energy, Tesla. That, of course, is an ARC favorite at number four. NVIDIA and Spotify also on that list in the launch Guys, comes during a rough patch for Kathy Wood's actively managed ETFs. They're bouncing back a bit today, but investors have been rotating away from Kathy Wood's bread and butter, of course, high growth. Take a look, though. All of those ETFs, the, the actively traded ones, are negative for the year. Autonomous tech and robotics, though, that's the only positive one on the year so far. That one outperforming here. Scott, yeah. uh, Scott back to you. Uh, super interesting. Kate, thank you. That's Kate Rooney for us out in uh, San Francisco for us. Josh Brown, I'm, I'm guessing you may have a thought or two about this new ETF from Kathy Wood? <laughs> well, I think in this day and age, if you are a large asset management firm, which ARC clearly now is, you have to have something ESG in your suite of products. Uh, ostensibly, you're going to financial advisory firms like mine. You're presenting an approach where these are the categories we cover. So much money has been and will continue to go into funds that play up governance and transparency and equality, et cetera. So like you're not even in the game if you don't have that as part of what you're offering. Um, and I don't mean that cynically. This is what the people want. And, and when you work in asset management, it's no different than any other industry. You have to give the consumer some version of what they're asking you for. So that's what I think this is. Um, it's not revolutionary. I don't think it's meant to rival what they're doing in the flagship fund. And it's an index approach, so the fireworks will be fairly muted as time goes on if this thing does attract money. So that's what I think is going on here. Okay. Up next, we have a big call at one consumer stock 
The firm saying its recent underperformance is a big buying opportunity. We'll dis discuss that, debate it next. Let's talk about our call of the day now, and it is Starbucks. It was upgraded to buy today at MKM. They call the stock's recent underperformance a buying opportunity. Price target goes to $130 from $115. Jim Labenthal, I find this so interesting. You own it. You say, it's not my favorite stock, but I'm willing to stick around to see, it, see its growth. It's on thin ice with me. It what is a ringing endorsement. Listen, here's the reality, Scott, of when you're managing a portfolio of 25 stocks. You don't love all your children equally in your portfolio. There is the bottom quintile of stocks in terms of who's my favorite, and Starbucks is in it. Now, it's not because the company is awful. If it was awful, I wouldn't own it. But it is expensive. They blew it on the last quarter, particularly with the guidance, and that does put them on thin ice. Not selling it, but if they don't have a good quarter and good guidance for this fourth quarter, um, it's going to go. Now, you have the legitimate question of why even own it? And that's a legitimate question. This stock serves a purpose in my portfolio of nicely tracking the S&P 500. It was outperforming on a multi-year basis until this last quarter. Um, I will stick around, but it is on thin ice. By the way, the CEO is going to be on with Jim tonight on Mad Money. It's a CNBC exclusive. They're, they're going to kill me. But, Steph, i got to ask you, right, why own it? You say I, I don't it's for, for a lot of reasons, but I like McDonald's <laughs> better, right? So you answer Jim's question. You answer yeah. Jim's question for him. Yeah, it's trade. McDonald's is trading 27 times. It's not cheap, but Starbucks is at 34 times. And they've done, McDonald's have done a really good job in terms of execution, menu simplification, drive through, digital, um, delivery options. They've got $4.3 billion in cash. They just reinstated the buyback and, and the dividend. So there's a lot to like here, and it certainly acts like a consumer staples stock. Yeah. And I like that steadiness to offset some of the cyclicality that I have in all, my fund. All time high today for MCD. You just saw it there. Up next, John has unusual activity when we come back. Okay, Dr. J, let's do unusual. Let's do it, Scott. Uh, both of these are short-term. The first one is Amazon. They're buying the 3550 calls, Scott, um, with Amazon just over 3515 uh, this morning. They bought about 10,000 of those quickly. That has built now to 17,000. I just checked it moments ago. So an awful lot of upside buying in a very expensive stock. So not surprisingly, they're buying the options instead. Second one, Mara. So this is one of those uh, plays, of course, on Bitcoin mining, Scott. M-A-R-A also expires this week. They're buying at the 50 strike, though. So that's $5 out of the money more than I like to pay out of the money. So I'm buying the 45s and selling upside calls instead. Both of these calls expire this week, so you gotta be quick. All right, let's see what happens there. Doc, thank you very much. We'll step away. We'll come back and final trades are next. Hope you'll join us tomorrow for CNBC's Financial Advisor Summit. We look ahead to 2022, and guess who? The Linkster. Stephanie Link will be one of the participants. <laughs> you can register at CNBCEvents.com slash FA 
Summit. Steph, in honor of that, we're excited about that. What's your final trade today? Me too. American Express, I bought it the day after Thanksgiving when the stock fell 9% on the day. It's all about travel and entertainment, Scott, and, we, and the recovery. We're seeing it in leisure, more, than, more better <laughs> than 2019 numbers. Um, and business hasn't even begun yet, though. And they today raised to the high end of guidance for 2022. So I still like it, 17 times earnings. It's attractive. Okay. Mr. All In. Yeah, Union Pacific. Industrials haven't gotten enough love. This is a quality industrial, particularly as containers start moving out of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which they are. Yeah, well, big day in the market today. Not doing all that much. Dr. J. Snap. Uh, they're buying the 52 calls that expire this week. I bought those, Scott. All right. And Josh Brown. Mm. Nice, uh, nice bounce in Coinbase. I think it can continue. Yeah. Staying long. Nice, nice bounce across the board. Uh, really take a look at stocks as we go out here. It's a big bounce back, especially in technology and the NASDAQ. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.